said this last week, but telling somebody the story of Jesus scares me. And it's much easier for me to do it from a stage to tell people about the love of Jesus and how great Jesus has been uh, to me from a stage than it is to do it one-on-one. And I know that most of you don't get on a stage very often. And over uh, the course of about seven weeks, we're talking about the very thing that scares me, proclaiming our faith, our, our Christian message to other people people. And uh, I'll start again by saying if you're not a Christian, uh, then it's a great week to be here. This is a really great week to be here. Last week, uh, I said you got to keep coming and and it'll catch up and you'll like it. But this week, if you're not a Christian, it's a great week to be here because I have uh, some good news for you. Uh, I think that that maybe for the first time, you'll understand why we want to share the good news and and how we ought to probably share the good news and and maybe even what's uh, what's so good about about that good news, uh, and maybe you've never heard it uh, kind of presented before in a good way, and, and you're going to see that this morning, and so that'll be great. But but if you're if you're here and you're a Christian, last week we we uh, most of you decided you said, hey, I believe now what Jesus said is important that we are to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and almost everybody that's a part of our church said, I want to be obedient to that command. That's all I asked for last week. I want to be obedient to that command, and I really appreciate that that you guys are, are willing and, and um and hopefully excited to at least try to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to in proclaiming our faith. But it's still super, super scary. And one of the things that I think makes it scary to me is that when I think about sharing the good news, when I think about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, telling people that Jesus has has died for their sins and then risen again, a lot of times it feels like sharing bad news. It seems like the scary part is that when we do it, we we have a, a tendency to feel like we are telling people something that is bad. I would say that, that a lot of times when we think of sharing the good news, we kind of buy into the societal lie that to proclaim your beliefs is in some ways to be a selfish jerk, an unloving jerk who is just pushing your religion onto somebody else. And I think that, that part of the reason, for me anyway, that it's scary to share my faith, and I think that you might connect with this, is that something in the back of my head is coming into my brain. All the blog posts and all the media coverage and all the things I've read on Facebook that says, if you, if you share this, if you tell people that Jesus is the savior of the world, then you are kind of a jerk, or at least you're gonna be perceived as a jerk, and they're gonna think that you're shoving your religion down the throat, and nobody likes a person that's shoving their religion down you know somebody else's throat and we talked about uh, proselytizing last week and how it's taken on this meaning of being marked by those who try to convert others through fear malice manipulation deception threat or bribery it does not respect religious freedom or human dignity and I think that we have it in our brains if we're Christians that if we tell people the story of Jesus then all of a sudden we are people who are no longer respecting the dignity of others we are being selfish we're being rude we're not being respectful of what they believe and I think society has taught us this I think we feel like this quote that I read and I have to switch apps because 
Uh, I just this came to me yesterday. I'm I'm listening to a book called Darkness at Noon. Who's heard of Darkness at Noon? Anybody? It's famous. It's like the fifth best English novel ever written. Maybe you guys need to read a little bit. Um, uh, and the, and he's talking. He's not talking about Christianity. So know that the book is about a communist man who's been now thrown in prison by the nation that he's so faithfully served, and it's all about his thoughts. And and he's just kind of. Um, He's thinking over his time and what he's done and he believes that communism is the absolute truth and he, he says this thing that I think we feel uh, as Christians when we try to proclaim the truth of Jesus to others. He says, we brought you truth and in our mouth it sounded a lie. We brought you freedom and it looks in our hands like a whip. We brought you the living life and where our voices heard, the trees wither and there is a rustling of dry leaves. We brought you the promise of the future, but our tongue stammered and barked. Isn't that how you feel? Like I, I hold, if you're a Christian, I hold this, this beautiful, life-giving, truthful, wonderful, great, amazing piece of knowledge. But if I share it, we think... Then, then it's just going to come out to a lot of people like a lie and to other people like death and to other people just like noise that they've heard before. And so out of that, I think we stop being faithful to what Jesus has called us to do, proclaiming the Christian faith. And so even, and I think, if you're a Christian, then, and then you can correct me after the service if I'm wrong, but if you're a Christian, then you want to share your faith with other people because you knew, at least at some point, that, that the story of Jesus had brought you life and joy and peace and hope and grace and mercy and all these great things and you were excited about it and maybe that first day when you, you cried and you became a Christian, it was like, man, I should tell everybody about this, but over time, it became something else and you started to think like, Man, if, if I say this to people, then it's not going to be received the way I want, and I'm going to be a jerk, and, and it's not going to be good. And, and there's this passage in Romans 10 that I think, if we will pay attention to what it's saying, we're going to leave here today at least thinking correctly about this wonderful information that we hold as Christians, the, the gospel story, the truth about Jesus, the story that the Bible tells. And, and I wanna say, like I said last week, that I'm not under any preconceived notions that we're all gonna run out of here and, and start just sharing the gospel story at the end of today. Uh, I'm hoping for that in a few weeks. But, um, but today, I'm not under any preconceived notions that that's going to happen. But the, the goal today, let me just give you the goal of, of this, is to... Take last week's first step. Yes, I want to be faithful to that. And then kind of alter this thinking somewhere in the back of our heads that says, man, if I actually am faithful to that, then I'm going to be a jerk and I'm going to be rude and I'll be like a guy shoving my religion on somebody to kind of alter this piece so that we can at least move a step closer to actually being obedient to the command that Jesus has given us. And, and the passage starts in Romans 10, uh, verse 12 and 13. It says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the first thing, the important part of this that, that you need to have in your heads is that salvation, this Christian thing, 
It is a story that is for all people. And let me just catch you up on the story in case you don't know it, and that is this. We believe that all people are sinful. They've done wrong things. And in fact, I would like to point out that this is one of the reasons that we think of our Christian story as bad news because some of the starting tenets of it are in fact kind of negative, right? Like uh, this, hey, um, you're sinful and you might go to hell. You know I mean? Like that's that's pretty negative starting place. And so I think that, that the actual truth of the story actually factors into our thinking. But the story doesn't stop there. The story says that God created us. We sinned. We deserve punishment. Jesus came down from heaven he lived a sinless perfect life he died on a cross and then he got out of the grave and it was easter and we celebrated and 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 he was resurrected and he lives forevermore in heaven as lord and savior of the earth and and paul is talking to people and and he's trying to delineate between kind of what jews are thinking and and non-jews are thinking and jewish people are looking at non-jewish christians and they're thinking you can't be part of us and there's this this kind of turmoil And, and he says look This story is for all of you, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, whether you grew up in a religious home or a non-religious home, whether you grew up around people who liked Christians or people who hated Christians, whether you grew up with any knowledge of the Bible or lots of knowledge of the Bible, the story is the same. Jesus is the Savior, and all who call on him uh, will be saved. They'll be eternally saved blessed. The idea of calling is not like calling somebody on the phone. Um, It is something deeper and more meaningful than that. The Greek word actually means like turning towards someone and calling out to them. It's it's the idea of, if I could use a parenting illustration, like when a kid cries out to their parents because they're in trouble. That's much closer to what's actually being said. And, uh, And so when Paul says that we all call, it's the same thing that I say almost every week. And, uh, and that is that when we call on Jesus, we are calling him Lord and Savior and saying, look, I am in need of a Savior. You're it. I will give you my life. And, and so Paul sets up the thing that I want to look at today by saying this. For every single person, no matter their background, no matter their nationality, no matter what they have prior, uh, they have a prior label for themselves religiously, no matter what, the story is all the same. If people will believe that Jesus is Savior and call on him, then that is how they live forever. They have salvation and they are eternally blessed by God. And then Paul launches into this series of questions. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's a simple progression, right? I mean, he says, uh, how can you call? Why would you turn to Jesus? Turn your eyes to Jesus. Why? If you don't believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so one of the first steps in the process to coming to a place where you call on Jesus is to actually believe in Jesus and the story of Jesus and that is that he died on a cross and he rose again and he's God and all those things. And, and I would like to say that sometimes we associate calling and believing and a lot of times in Christian circles, we leave people at the believing step. Oh, you just believe that Jesus is the savior of the world? That's great. But in the book of James, James emphatically declares that even demons believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. The big difference is they don't call on Jesus as Lord and savior. They simply believe it. They have an intellectual knowledge about it. And Paul says that if you're ever gonna call on Jesus, then you need to believe in Jesus. 
And I would like to say that if you're here, uh, people that will listen online too, if, if the hang up on, and calling on Jesus is actually that you don't believe in it, then I would love to have a conversation with you about why I do. I, I won't shove my religion down your throat. I won't be mean, I promise. I left that a long time ago when I got mad at people for not believing the way that I do. I hit my 30s and it all kind of clicks. That doesn't work, you know? And, uh, and I would love just to have a conversation with you about that. But some people, let's just admit it, uh, they do believe, but they don't want to call on Jesus. Uh, my brother-in-law, Matt, right there, uh, he also used to try to argue people into salvation. I think he would agree with that. Um, and it's at some point, he started to ask this question that I've, that I've said before in sermons. He would ask people who wanted a dialogue about Christianity, okay, if I can prove my side in all of these areas that you have questions in, then will you become a Christian? And most of the time, they would just simply go, no, I won't. And so sometimes you, you might be this person, you believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, but you choose not to call. But either way, there is a step, and the step is that you must actually believe in the things of the Bible if you are going to call Jesus and determine that he is your Lord and savior. But to believe, you must actually hear the story of Jesus. In Romans 10, 17, in just a few verses, Paul says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so let me put it in your heads. The story we're talking about is the story that I already told. That's the gospel story, the story of good news. That is that Jesus came to the world to save you from your sins. And you can't believe in it if you don't hear it. And let me just stop and say that we have this idea as Americans now that every person that we meet has actually heard the story of Jesus. But it's no longer true. It might have been true 40 years ago. It might have been true 50 years ago. It might have been true 100 years ago. But in our current society, there are lots of people who don't know the true story about Jesus. And in fact, I would argue... A lot of people have fake stories about Jesus. They've heard bits and pieces about what the Bible says. They have kind of ideas about what Jesus thinks and what Jesus is like and who Jesus is. If you talk to the average person on the street that's not a Christian, they think Jesus is some type of uh, hippie that just kind of loves everybody and tells everybody to feel good all the time. That's half of the story. If you talk to other people, they would tell you, well, Jesus is just a jerk that wants me to follow a bunch of rules. And, and, and a lot of people in our current society do not have, do not, have never heard the real story that exists in the Bible, the New Testament, about the saving work of Jesus. And so if you're here just, and you are like, yeah, I want to be obedient to the command of Jesus that we talked about last week, that we should proclaim our faith and make disciples, you'll never do it if you always run around going, well, they've probably heard it before. And Paul reminds us, he reminds a church, really, in Rome, a group of people who had probably heard the story that, hey, by the way, people must hear the gospel if they are ever going to believe the gospel so that they may call on Jesus and be saved and eternally blessed. And then there's this last part. 
Nobody can hear the story of Jesus unless someone preaches to them. The word preach is not a very good translation because when we think of preaching, we think of what I'm doing right now, but that's not what the word means. It means to announce or proclaim something. It is literally uh, to be a herald, to discharge a herald's office, to make proclamation, to proclaim or announce publicly. And so the idea here is that nobody will hear the story of Jesus unless somebody else tells them, proclaims the story of Jesus to them. Now, I want this is what I want you to know. If you're here and you're a Christian, this is something that I can guarantee, and I can't make a ton of guarantees, but this is one thing that I can guarantee. If you're here and you're a Christian, then it is because somebody proclaimed the truth of Jesus to you. You believed it, and you called on the name of Jesus. The truth is that people will never believe in Jesus, never come to a saving faith if you don't proclaim his story to them. In fact, I would say we look around at our world right now and a lot of Christians, and and I don't think we have many of these in our church, but a lot of Christians just seem so angry that people don't think exactly like them, you know? Like, why don't you have our morals and do our stuff and why aren't you nicer to us? And I would just go out on a limb and say a lot of those same people have never actually heard the story of Jesus because we don't tell the story of Jesus to them. And so we're expecting them to believe like us and to call on Jesus like us, but they actually don't even know what that means because they've never heard the story before. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And I know he's famous and that quote is is popular, Uh, but Chad Harms says this, preach the gospel at all times, use words, they're necessary. You see, we run around going, I love that St. Francis quote. Here's why Christians love it. Because I never have to tell anybody about Jesus. I'll just try to live as good as I can and everybody will be happy. But, but what Paul is saying is that even if people are looking at you and they're like, man, that person lives a great life. They're awesome. I wish I could be more like them. They will never hear the gospel unless you tell them it. And if they don't hear it, they won't believe it. And if they don't believe it, they won't become Christians. Let me tell you what Chad Harm says once more again. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. So there the fear level rises up again, right? Even talking about it a little bit because it's like, okay, the weight of the world is now on my shoulders. I mean, I want people to become Christians because... Because I want people to be saved and I want people to be blessed, don't we? I mean, you're rude if you don't. We all want that. We want people to have those things but they have to hear. And for them to hear, I have to say something. And that is where it gets scary. But I think the next verse is the verse that that we we like this. If you've been around Christians a long time, it's a verse we really like, but but I don't think it's a verse that we actually pay attention to, that we care about, that we think about, that we remember because we tend to buy the societal lies about sharing faith, but not what verse 15 says about proclaiming the gospel. And here's what it says. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? That part is fine. We all heard last week that we're sent if we're Christians. That's Jesus sent every one of us who are his disciples. How can they, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet 
of those who bring good news. One author said this, given the seriousness of human sin and rebellion, the command to go into the whole world and preach the gospel would be in vain if the ultimate power and authority lay in the hands of sinners. And that is true. We talked about last week how Jesus has the authority and how Jesus is with us. And that is the reason that we can even have a a possible ounce of courage to share the gospel is because it all rests on Jesus. He builds his church and he's with us. But this passage says, we've been sent, we're an important part of it, and then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The end of this sentence is super interesting to me because it actually just says like this, says something like this, preach good. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good. The word for preach is a verb that uh, comes from the noun good news, and that's uh, a word that where we, why I say good news when I'm talking about Jesus, and it's actually the word where we get gospel, uh, and so it's a word that means gospel, good news, in the, in the simplest sense. Um, uh, the verb in early Christian circles became, it just started to mean tell somebody about Jesus. That's, that's what it came to mean over time. It went from good news a noun to good news a verb to, oh, we have the best news, so it's all about preaching the gospel, telling people what Jesus has done for them. In fact, the word is the word where we get evangelism. And I started last week by saying evangelism is this very scary word where we have these ideas about what that means and we have to knock on doors, we have to pass out tracts and and some of us are not built that way. And we think, well, it's a negative. People won't like me. People are gonna be mad at me. It's shoving my religion down somebody's throat. But here, what, what Paul is saying is, look, people need to hear and let me remind you what you're actually telling them. Something that is inherently good. It's like good newsing the good is what the translation could be. Good newsing the good. And what I think is that we have forgotten this. In fact, this verse is, is a quote from Isaiah 52.7. And so Paul's drawing upon something that happened thousands of years ago. And there, let me tell you what happens. Isaiah's talking about a couple of things, but he's talking about a person bringing good news to Judah because of the end of their exile and their return to their homeland. How good of news is that? Hey, by the way, we know that you have been captives of another country for years and years and years. But hey... God is now working and you are getting to go home. Can you picture the good news it would be if somebody had been wrongfully imprisoned and you gotta be the person that told them, hey, you get to go home now, you've been set free, you get to go back to your house, to your family. I mean, you would be totally pumped up and, and, and Paul wants us to make the connection. When we share the story of Jesus, it is akin to telling somebody that they have been set free and they can go home. But the problem is, we, like I said at the beginning, have taken the gospel story, and I think we really, really believe, and you can correct me again if I'm wrong, but I think we really, really believe that it's a story primarily about bad news. 
And perhaps it's because of the fire and brimstone that, have, that has been in the church forever, like a pastor, pastor standing up and preaching and saying, you're all going to hell. And uh, there's a famous sermon of a man dangling a, a spider over a candle while he's preaching and saying, if, if you don't repent and turn from your sins, then, then you are going to go to hell. So repent right now or you'll end up like this spider. And you, yeah, and so when you have that in your head and then you go... Hey, Bob, let me tell you about Jesus, you know? And that is super scary. But Paul reminds us that in its purest form, what we proclaim to other people so that they may hear and believe and turn to Jesus is in fact great, great news. So good he had to say good twice. And I believe, this is what I believe, when we begin to picture the gospel as the good news that it is, it becomes a far easier story to share. When we stop thinking about all that is seen as negative in the story of Jesus and we start to remember that at its very core, this is the best news the world has ever heard, that God came to earth to save people from their sins, then it becomes an easier thing to share. I was thinking about good news that, that I have uh, been granted in my life and, and just thinking about how easy it would have been for people and, and it was for people to share that good news with me. Um, when I was a fifth grader, I tried out for a BCI basketball team, uh, a, a tournament team that goes to a national tournament in Minneapolis and uh, I didn't make the team. I was put on as an alternate as a fifth grade kid. They might as well have just kicked me in the head when they said the word alternate. Uh, and then I don't know what happened, but somebody couldn't play and I got onto the team and when my dad told me that news, the excitement was, uh, I, I actually shook Pepsi cans in the front yard and sprayed them everywhere like it was champagne. And, and as I just, as I thought about it, I was thinking about joyous moments in my life and they're connected to good news right and I don't imagine my dad going oh man I'm gonna have to tell Chad that he's going to Minneapolis to play basketball you know I mean what a scary thing you know that wouldn't have happened and and it was because it was such good news and then I I thought about my engagement um I just brought a couple of props uh and first, my engagement, and this isn't the actual box, but it was out from a sermon illustration a couple weeks ago, and I didn't want to have to find the real one. Uh, but I proposed to Bryn in Denver, and um, after I proposed to her, uh, she flew home. We were staying with some family friends of, of Bryn's over there, and I was there for class. And so Bryn flies home, and, and this is we're still this way. Uh, we compete in our own little ways. And you shouldn't do that in a marriage, but it works pretty well for us. And my thought was like this. Bryn's gonna tell everybody and they're all gonna be excited and then I'm gonna come home three days later and they'll be like, yep, I already heard, you know? And so there was this, this like, I can't believe she gets to have the good news. I think they may have a party without me actually. Uh, like, woohoo, they're engaged and I was in Denver doing classes and it was disappointing because our engagement was good news and I wanted to tell people the good news and I couldn't tell people the good news about us getting married. I think about hazel and I, I had this and uh, it was a craft that was made a couple of weeks ago with hazel's handprint, happy Valentine's Day. And, um, and when Bryn found out she was pregnant with hazel and that was exciting for us, but even more, uh, hazel came 
out of her, Bryn. That wasn't the exciting part. And then all of our families were waiting uh, in the lobby. And, and I like, they're like, well, she has to learn to breastfeed first and all this. And I'm like, I want to go to the lobby and tell everybody that Hazel is born. This is exciting for me. And nobody, I'm telling you, nobody had to say like, Chad, will you go tell your family that Hazel is born? It was just, it welled up inside of me. And this is the reality. Good news is easy to share. In fact, it's one of our favorite things to do as people, share good news with others. You know that. We love to tell people about good stuff. We don't hold it in for very long. We walk up to people, we tell them, we say, hey, good news, good news. I have good news. You say that. I have good news. And Paul reminds us that it's very core. The gospel story, the story of Jesus is not bad news. It is in fact great news. And I believe when we start to think of it in terms of how great of news it is, then we have a fighting chance to actually be obedient to Jesus' declaration that we must share it with everybody. Because when we think of it as good news, It's something that we want to tell other people. And let me just make a guess about you. Here's the guess. Last week I preached, if you were here, and you're like, yes, I do want to be obedient to the command of Jesus, but there's a part of you still that says, I don't want to have to tell people this story. And I believe it's because you think of it in terms of bad news. And if you will start to think of it as the great news that it is, then I think you'll want to share it with people. You may not. There's still going to be fear. Like I said, we're not there yet where I expect you to run out and knock on your neighbor's doors. But I think if you will return to a place where you're like, wait a minute, the world has tried to tell me that I have this jerky story to tell, but I in fact have the greatest story to tell. And when you start to form the story of Jesus in your own words and why it's been good for you, then you begin, I think, to want to tell it to others. And that is why you wanted to tell it to others when you first became a Christian, because you only knew of the good parts and you were like, this is something I have to tell others. I mean, just think about it. There's these like core things within every person that they fear. And Jesus and his story are the answer to all of them. Like every person has, before they become a Christian, a level of emptiness that they try to fill. They try to fill it with a job. They try to fill it with family. They try to fill it with relationships, with drugs, all these different things. But, but in our very course, before, before I came to Jesus, there was an emptiness that I needed filled. And Jesus fills that. And if you're a Christian, you know exactly what I mean. And so you, you should be like, wait, I have the answer to the reason that you don't feel fulfilled. It's because you are longing for a relationship with God through Jesus. Every person wants forgiveness. Every person wants forgiveness. They have things in their life that they look back on and they, could, they just feel it in, them, in their soul. If I could just have forgiveness for that, if I could just have that erased, if I could just lose the regret that I feel because of that. And Jesus died for all of our sins. We believe that. And so the good news is you can have forgiveness. I don't know why that would ever be a bad thing to tell somebody. Hey, by the way, I know you want forgiveness. You can have it. We never want to be alone. 
Jesus tells us that if we accept him, then he comes into our lives and that we are no longer alone and that it can never be a bad thing. It can never, ever, even if the world tries to say, you're a jerk for trying to tell me this, it would be like, what, I'm a jerk for telling you that you don't have to be alone ever again because God will come into your life. No, I'm not a jerk. In fact, that's the great news of the story of Jesus. And then this one, every single person fears death apart from Jesus. And we have the anecdote to death. That is that Jesus died on our behalf and then rose again conquering death. And so we, if we place our faith in him, if we call on him, will live eternally in heaven. And so even though these bodies will give up, we will end up in a far better place. We won't have to die. We no longer have to fear death. And, and I, anybody that tells you that that is a jerk thing to do, to tell somebody, oh, by the way, I have the anecdote to death, is lying to you. And they're trying to make an excuse so that they don't have to make a decision about Jesus. You see, when we remember how great the news of Jesus is, we can't help but want to share it with people. And I'm not talking about just you because this is for me too. I forget. And when I think about sharing my faith, I'm like, I'm going to have to tell them they're sinners. You know, like I'm going to have to tell them that they've told lies. I'm going to have to tell them about hell. I'm going to have to tell them that they're separated from God. Those are all true things. But at the very core, this is a story of good news. And when you look at the Bible and the way that the men and the women who expressed the, the story of Jesus first, who really are responsible for it going all over the world, it was never like, oh, you're going to hell. And by the way, there's a savior. It was like, there is a savior and you need to know him because he has done so many incredible things for me. I think of it this way. Water. Water is good, right? We can agree on that. Water um, gives life. Water refreshes. Water cools us off when it's hot out. Water uh, is uh, important for cleaning things, and um, it's a good substance, right? And for most of the world, if you showed up with water, especially um, third world countries that have a new name now. It's just slipped my mind. Uh, undeveloped countries, underdeveloped countries, something like that. Uh, if you showed up with water, they would be absolutely excited about that water. Uh, but in certain places, water can take on a negative connotation. I thought of, as I was thinking about this illustration, the civil rights movement where police officers would use water hoses to injure people that were fighting for civil rights. Uh, I've thought about people whose kids have drowned and water could take on a negative connotation. Um, I, I think that the gospel sometimes is seen as negative, like water, even though it is such a positive thing. And a lot of times people that are not Christians feel as though they have been water hosed, uh, they have been sprayed uh, and injured by the gospel story because of what Christians have done with the gospel story. But that does not change the fact that the water, the life-giving story of Jesus is always good. Sometimes water gets polluted. It gets 
dirty. It's, there's leaks and sewage, and then things get bad. We have the Willamette here. We know all about it, right? And, and when you look at the Willamette, you could go, well, if that's my only history with water, that's just something that makes you sick. And I think the gospel has been that way for some people. They have had tastes of things that kind of looked like water, like the gospel story, but they were so polluted that, that they came away going, that's gross. Why would I ever want that? But it doesn't change the fact that the real story of Jesus is a life-giving, beautiful substance that every person needs. And I believe as Christians, this is what Jesus even says to a woman at a well, that, that we have living water. And Jesus tells us that it is our job to share that living water with everybody. And we go, well, what about the fire hoses and what about the contamination and they're gonna connect me to all of that. But shouldn't we just offer the water because we know that the water is good and how refreshed we have been and how filled up we have been and how we have life that will never end because of this living water, the gospel story. I think we should. And so here's what I want from you. It's very simple. If you're not a Christian, then, then I just need you to know that while you may have been hurt by the gospel, you may have tasted a tainted view of the gospel, what we actually believe in is the greatest news ever, that God came to earth to live, die, and rise again so that you could be filled up, so that you could have forgiveness, so that you could have eternal life. That's the real story. Now you've heard it. I hope you believe it. Uh, call on the name of Jesus and be saved. But for those of us that are Christians, we need to stop thinking about the gospel and all that is negative and all that is seen as negative. And we need to stop believing the societal lie that we have something that, that is bad, that, that what, when we share our faith, it's negative. And we need to start remembering that we hold on to the greatest news the world has ever known. And we should want to share it. Even if we're like, yeah, I'll be obedient to your command, Jesus. And yeah, I'm scared to do it. We should want to share our story with others because it is such a beautiful, good story. And so as you leave here, when we leave here, just erase all the negative and go, wait a minute, I have a good story to share. And you may not go out there this week and go, yeah, here you go, here's my good story. We're gonna talk next week and the week after. Like, how do I start to share that story? What does that look like? How do I open my mouth to get to the point where that story's coming out? But today and moving forward, you need to remember that the gospel is good news. Will you pray with me? Lord, I wanna pray first for... Uh, people who aren't Christians and, and have seen the gospel as a, as a negative, like something that gets shoved down their throats. Um, they see it like waterboarding, Lord, and they picture Christians as the ones behind the torture. And, and I pray, Lord, that first, God, they would see that that's not the reality of your story. And um, like the story of, uh, that Joe told us of just Bibles being passed out, 
being given away and then people read that story and become Christians, when people actually see your story for what it is, Lord, it's compelling because it's so good. And so I pray for, for people who aren't Christians that first they would understand that your story is a good story. Second, Lord, I would pray that they would choose to examine it deeper and that they would believe it and that they would call on your name and give you their lives, uh, realizing that, that, God, what has sometimes been done with the gospel, the good news, is not really what the gospel is. If there's people, God, that have been hurt in the name of you, Jesus, if there's people who have been beat down or beat up in the name of you, Lord, I pray that they would now know that it wasn't because of you. It was people tainting and abusing what you have so graciously provided for us. And then, Lord, I pray for all the Christians here, Lord, this morning, all of us who love you, who have accepted you, who have called on you, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would return us to a place where we remember how good of news your story is. And I pray, Lord, that when we think about the gospel, we would think of it in terms that are good. And I pray, God, that we would start to, to, to be able to tell the story in a way that is good. And I pray that we would have an innate, insatiable desire to share the good news with others just like, God, I did when Hazel was born and I was waiting to go tell my family in the lobby. I pray, God, that, that the water of your story, the gospel would just well up inside of us until it pours out unto others as we remember how incredibly good the story is, Lord. I thank you for all that you have done for us and I pray these things in your name, amen.